Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I'm going to ask if you would um, stand with me for just the reading of God's Word. Being out of Genesis chapter 2. Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then there's a passage or two here where he brings all the animals before man to name and uh, see what he would name them. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word and into our hearts through your spirit and um, affecting you in our minds and our very beliefs this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, We have been dealing with an issue entitled The Binding, and it's talking about a book that's being rebound, or a Bible in this specific case, and us as a church. And so we talked about those things that have bound us in the past, and now we're talking about things that will bind us in the future. They're items that that used to be fixed and understood that are now, um, in this day and age, uh, open to increased speculation or varying perspectives. And... um, and so today we're going to talk about this, and then next week as well, a little different subject related in the same way. I want to show to you a brief video clip, one of my favorite uh, Super Bowl commercials, uh, to set up something as we go into this conversation. So just quickly, if you just throw that clip up there, uh, very good. Hey, you. You got to go down. Come haven't seen that uh, particular clip, that is, by all means, a classic. Why do I play that in starting this conversation? Is because um, you have been heavily indoctrinated to take the next period of conversation that we're going to have and to view it in a certain way. Depending on the level of that indoctrination, you'll not hear what I'm saying. The mere fact that we're discussing the issue of marriage as between a man and a woman um, immediately throws up a barrier. And so I'm asking you to be aware of that barrier, to be aware of the degree to which you've been indoctrinated, and give us fair hearing, whether it's by podcast or whether it's in the room here at this point in time. In addition to the indoctrination, there is a redefinition of what is illegal, offensive, or dangerous. Um, Those who decide these things for us are heavily influenced by the crowd. There's been studies that have shown, in fact, that referees in major sports 
um, uh, uh, events are heavily influenced by the crowd as to how they define what is illegal, offensive, or dangerous. This does happen sometimes, I'm told. <laughs> the people who laugh are the ones who watched the Lions on Monday night, where one of the players at a critical moment that defined the game was gripping hold of another player here, which is totally legal, but was um, cited and flagged for what appeared to be faces to the neck or to the hand. So what was totally legal, safe, and appropriate was defined by this referee on the same player who has never been fined for this before, not once but twice, causing them to lose the game. There's no question it caused them to lose the game to Green Bay. It was being played in Green Bay. And so what is defined increasingly by those who define those things for us, the crowd itself is putting pressure upon those officials and organizations to say something that is, um, frankly, legal, not offensive, and safe to be now defined as illegal, offensive, and dangerous. For the first time, a presidential candidate a major pre of a major party has said the churches that hold to a view, such as we'll be discussing here today, um, if he becomes president, would lose any tax-exempt status and would be punished financially. Now, to be fair, two other candidates of that same party immediately um, attacked that thought and pushed that thought away. But for the first time, that was being brought into play. It has been said that if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point that the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages is where the loyalty of the soldier is proved. <clears throat> and be steady on all the battlefield. Um, besides, is merely flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. We're discussing the issue of marriage. As defined in the scripture we just read, as between a man and a woman. It was something that was not instituted by human beings, but by God himself. It is something that, as one of our earlier speakers spoke to, said that the Bible um, opens with a marriage and closes with a wedding. <clears throat> it's to be used as an example of how we're supposed to, as a church, relate to Christ himself as our groom and us as the bride. The phrase helper suitable means alike opposite. There was to be some similarity, but some contrast to it. And it's specific in regards to a, a man and a woman. The churches today um, are running increasingly across a spectrum. And for the most part, I would define the spectrum as one between probably, you could say truth, you could say love, I prefer the term grace, but both love and holiness, or grace and truth, represent aspects of God's nature. There are churches that hold to a position of truth or holiness to such an extreme on the issue of marriage, gender identity, LGBT issues, that they are violent. Think Westboro Baptist. There are those who would never go to that position. They hold to truth. But they're going to make sure you know it every single time you have a conversation with them. They have to pound that issue across in every type of a gathering there is to make sure that no one questions where they're at at any time or any place. You have at the other end of the spectrum churches 
I do put quotes about that, air quotes, who would sit here and arrogate or forget any aspect of truth in their uh, desire to extend grace and love to the point that they'll embrace any issue and completely surrender any biblical truth whatsoever. You have other churches who I wouldn't put air quotes around that would be over to this position more who would hold to the issue of truth, but they're not going to tell you about it because they know that it'll offend you and it'll turn people away or it'll create controversy and have them cause a loss of influence. Um, sometimes there can be a wisdom in this position, but uh, oftentimes it's a surrender in the process. Then there's where we come at today. Our position is striving as best we can to not be in a place where we're pounding in your face, not into a place where uh, we've surrendered those elements, but where we're holding the truth and speak to that issue when appropriate, in clarifying at least where we're at, so we're not moved off of that point. Being in the middle, we tend to get attacked from both ends, just as a thought. How did the unthinkable become unquestionable? In just the last few years, things have changed so radically and dramatically. For example, when Andrew Sullivan uh, first made the case for same-sex marriage in the New Republic back in 1989, the very notion was considered to be on the fringe in 1989. And it stayed that way for two decades. Then suddenly it wasn't beyond the fringe anymore. By 2012, a majority of Americans favored same-sex marriage. Three years later, it became a constitutional right. Today, opposition or even ambivalence to same-sex marriage is regarded as beyond the fringe. And the pace of the change on these issues is only accelerated. Transgenderism was considered beyond the fringe when same-sex marriage was legalized. And it's now gone beyond that. And now polyamory, which is multiple people involved in relationships, is increasingly being pressed into play as well. We're in the time we've discussed as postmodern. And at its heart, postmodernism posits the idea that neither revelation nor reason can give us the story of reality. Neither revelation nor reason. In fact, according to postmodernism, there is no universal, discernible story of reality. Truth is a social construct for the postmodernists. Even observable truths, like male and female. External, seemingly objective facts are to the postmodernist clouded by our endless interpretations, which are shaped by our own experiences and cultural biases and whatever meanings we want to attach to them. So for a postmodernist, they hold that certain viewpoints and interpretations had been oppressed and disempowered. So for the last few decades, there's been this concerted effort to elevate and prioritize those viewpoints that have been that way, whether they correspond to reality or not. This is exactly what's happening wherever a postmodernist worldview has been applied. In the name of elevating a viewpoint, another one is oppressed in the process. I won't get into all the science. There's tons in regards to it. And as people who are followers of Christ and we hold the scripture to be true, there was something I was taught in college, a Christian college, something entitled that all truth is God's truth. And what that means is that, that while this is revealed truth, we as human beings have the ability to discover truth whether that's through science or through applied different ways, that we can discover those things. And if it's true, that it'll be cohesive with Scripture, that it'll be cohesive with God, and that there'll be a unified aspect to that. So when a scientist discovers an aspect of biology or something else that is absolutely true, it lines up with all of the truth, and we can accept and embrace that as such as well. 
there's been a lot of discussion in regards to um, uh, arguments for uh, gay behavior as being genetically linked. This was a series of things that was done off a study recently. There was a position uh, offered here. Quote, research finds genetic links to same-sex behavior. This is Wall Street Journal. New York Times agreed using this headline. Many genes influence same-sex sexuality, not a single gay gene. But National Public Radio, looking at the sa exact same study, chose a different headline. Quote, search for gay genes comes up short in large new study. And the AP put it this way. The new genetic links to same-sex sexuality is found in a huge study, but Science News announced there's no evidence that a gay gene exists. The Washington Post played it more in the middle with there's no one gay gene, but genetics are linked to same-sex behavior. You were just given five, almost six different headlines that completely counter one another as far as how they interpret the science that's been out there. And if you look closer, the science is saying that there is no final determinant. But one other uh, newspaper basically said it's, imma it's immaterial anyways, since we now know, and it is settled science, that gender is fluid and runs across the gambit of things. We're told that even the passage we've just referenced here is Old Testament, and therefore not something that is relevant today to us. Um, Jesus never addresses or speaks uh, in opposition to the things that we're dealing with here today. But when Jesus is challenged in the book of Matthew, in the 19th chapter, and they want to test him, the scripture says, um, he says this, in verse 4, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Does that sound vaguely familiar to you? It should, because we just read that passage in Genesis. So Jesus, when he is challenged, goes to the very beginning and at the same passage and reaffirms this in a New Testament setting, specifically spelling out male and female. He chooses to, uh, and, and the statement that he didn't understand the sexuality of his time or how sexuality operated is a completely ridiculous concept to offer. He was fully conscious of that. LGBT issues per se were rampant at the time of Christ and throughout the Roman and Greek world. But he spells out what marriage is supposed to be about, and specifically genders in a binary fashion of male and female. If, if, if we're going to refute these things, it's not the matter of a narrow-minded church holding in a vicious sense to truth, or even of a church that's sitting here pounding it in someone's face. It's the matter of the words of Jesus Christ himself. And no longer two but one flesh, what God's joined together, let no one separate, let no one put asunder is where the actual passage that you hear sometimes in weddings. And then he talks about divorce and why did Moses allow that? He says he permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. He goes back to the beginning and he also lists what to me is one of the, the primary indicators as to why divorce happens. Because of the hardening of our hearts. Because our expectations aren't met. Because we're married to a flawed individual and they're married to another flawed individual, us. And so we end up having those type of things take place. And so within this congregation, there are those of us that are divorced and remarried. There are those of us who have suffered the hurts and ills from divorce. There are those of us in this congregation who struggle with the issue of gender identity. There are those of us in this gathering who struggle with our own sexuality, whether that is homosexuality or in how we express heterosexuality.
that's all part of who we are as a congregation. And we want to hold to the truth of what is, but we also want to extend grace and love in the midst of the struggle that is part of that. One passage of scripture that's come up that I wish to address just quickly is in Galatians chapter 3. This to me is a fantastic passage that is often misapplied today. There is, and part of the reason we need to touch on this is because there are individuals right now that are actively trying to change the view of the church on these issues from within the church. Let's be clear on this position of both marriage and gender. These are not just positions that were held by the church. These are positions that until these recent years were held by all societies throughout all time within the history of the planet. But somehow we have discovered something in our infinite wisdom in the last few years that completely rejects not just truth and scripture, but everything that's been held by every society. Only two societies throughout history did not see marriage as exclusively between a man and a woman, an obscure one in in Africa and and a, a small grouping in China at one point in time. Other than that, all societies have. But there are those who are trying to change this within the church. Matthew Vines is one of those. Another one is one who's actually been on our platform here and has written some, be- written some beautiful songs, but had struggles and hurts in her own past, Vicki Beeching, who has since now come out and identified in a way and has made it her goal, quote, on her website, that her vision is to help to change the church from the inside out until it affirms and blesses LGBT sexuality and equal marriage. Again, even the fact that I'm discussing this in this way, LGBT and and marriage equality, the immediate assumption, because the indoctrination, because the way the referees view things today, is that to even question this is to be harsh, to be hateful, to be angry. There's nothing in my tone or within my heart today, and I don't believe in the majority of our people's hearts here, that is hateful or angry. It's a matter, though, of how is reality defined. And this issue of marriage is not just because it's a critically thing being attacked today, but because it's a basic building block of our culture and society. Of gender and its identity is a central aspect of how we understand the world around us and how we operate as people one to another. G.K. Chesterton made the statement, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they become fashions. They're still fallacies or false. How many of you, I'm just curious, have ever read uh, George Orwell's 1984? If you haven't, I would really encourage you to go out and read it. For those of you that have read it, read it again. A book that was written decades ago is amazing in its accuracy of culture and its statements upon what's happening today. I always find it humorous a little bit today. I I, I like Apple products, but how many of you remember the 1984 um, Apple commercial? And it was a take on 1984, this oppressive government that controls everything and has to even control thought. And so this woman's running against all this oppressive stuff and, and she swings a hammer at the big screen that is talking about Big Brother and everything else and shatters it. And then Apple says, we're going to tell you why 1984 won't be like 1984 because they're coming out with the newest and best in this amazing computer. And they're not going to, they're going to shatter Big Brother, this thing that controls thought and actions and oppresses everyone. I like Apple. I've got an Apple phone. 
But if there's anyone that's most like Big Brother today, <laughs> it would probably be Apple. In this scenario that Orwell writes about, there are various ministries that address this, and it's in a theoretical place called Oceania, which was basically a stand-in for England. There's something called the Ministry of Love. We hear that phrase a lot today, about how even taking a stance such as we're talking about here today is not loving. And the very word of what that means has become morphed and messed up. And Orwell addresses that here as this. The ministry of love serves as Oceana's interior ministry. That's what it was called. It enforces loyalty to Big Brother through fear, buttressed through a massive apparatus of security and repression, as well as systematic brainwashing. The ministry of love building has no windows. It's surrounded by barbed wire entanglements, steel doors, hidden machine gun nests, and guards armed with jointed truncheons. Is arguably the most powerful ministry in the book, if you read it through, controlling the very will of the population. The thought police are part of this ministry where they can judge you for your very thoughts. The ministry of love, like the other ministries, is misnamed. Orwell's trying to make a point. Since it's largely responsible for the practice and infliction, this ministry of love, of misery, fear, suffering, and torture. In a sense, however, the name is pretty apt since its ultimate purpose is to instill love of Big Brother, the only love that's really permitted. This narrowing a specific view that you love that, anything else is not permitted, and the hero in the story is ultimately required to betray his own lover um, and to instead have love for Big Brother, and it breaks him in the end and destroys him. I'm not trying to paint for you a dark and ugly world. I'm not trying to say that we've entered into uh, the world of George Orwell, though I think increasingly things are Orwellian. But Orwell made another very important statement. He said, the further society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. The further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. I'm not trying this morning to get into all the science behind, and, and, and multiple studies have shown, the impact of, of, of a man and woman coming together and, and what that marriage means for society as compared to single-parent homes. I'm not trying to get into all the science and all the issues behind LGBT issues, um, but if you'll explore it, you'll find that, that, that there are some very harsh realities to embracing that lifestyle. We've discussed that before. There are other podcasts that talk about it. There is scientific analysis, and I find it very strange that as Christians we're told that we're anti-science on issues, but then when the science lines up with our values, we're told that that doesn't apply or matter, actually. And so what we have increasingly is a world where, where um, opinion, preference, ignores anything else in the process. We're holding and will hold to a position that marriage is a man and a woman in relationship. We haven't always practiced that as the church properly. There's as much divorce in the church as there is outside it. There's as much adultery and other issues at times. But that is still the value, at least, that is held to. And to hold to that value doesn't diminish anybody who's gone through divorce and the pains of that or remarriage, or is in a single-parent home. It in no way diminishes that, nor should it. But it is the value. To sit here and say also that reality, as defined by God, is men and women, is in no way to be damaging when it's a statement of what is truth and what is reality. 
There are studies that have been done recently that have shown a number of men particularly who have done gender reassignment surgery have recanted of that and have really repented of that and have come back and, and wish they had not gone through that. That's not a, a, that's a, that's a factual studies that have been done. One scripture, as I said, that has been misapplied on this at times is Galatians chapter 3. To me, this is a beautiful passage. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This passage is saying that regardless of your status or nationality or even gender, that there's an equality. When the pastor says that we're called the sons of God, that's not ignoring women. It's saying that sons in that culture were so elevated that now women have that same status, that there's an equality that we share. And I love working with my sisters. I love working with my brothers in this process. I love working with different nationalities and ethnicities in this process. But some want to use this passage and say, well, that means that there, that, that there is no identity within gender at all. This passage is saying that you are Abraham's seeds and heirs. Earlier in the passage in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, it says, So also Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Understood, stand then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. This whole chapter is discussion on who is in the faith, who is a child of Abraham. If you're a Gentile, no, you're not part of this. If you're a woman, you're somehow lesser in some way. If you're a slave, then you're somehow lesser. It was to address that issue. It had nothing to do with an application towards gender politics or anything of that nature. We've changed what is truth increasingly in this society. I like adjusting to new things. This, over here, is a bunch of things I was clearing out a couple of months ago. And um, there, there, there's something that some of you are going to view the same as you would if you came across a dinosaur track. These are what are called VHS tapes, <laughs> also called video tapes. And they're actual tape. And you'd put them in a machine and you could play these back. It was some of the early stuff of video playback. And I put all these together because I'm realizing I, 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 don't, I haven't played a VHS. I don't even want to ask any of you when the last time it was. I'd be afraid that if you answered that we'd all just look at you as some kind of troglodyte. Um, I don't recall last time I played any of these. And I'm realizing I'm never going to play a VHS tape again. Ever. In fact, I've got DVDs, and at some point in time, I'm probably going to be getting rid of those because now that's moved to the new format of DVD, which is clearer, better, sharper. But I'm not, I don't recall last time I played a DVD. Anybody here have got Netflix? <laughs> we pull things down digitally now. So the formats change. That's okay. I'm still going to watch It's a Wonderful Life because It's a Wonderful Life is, is really wonderful. Okay? It's pretty good. I've got Henry V. I'll still look for that. I'll still go searching for Bobby Fischer. Uh, the Man of La Mancha still has a place in my heart and mind. The entire book of Matthew. I go through a dozen different ones that are here. Ooh, the fellowship of the ring. <laughs> Dead Poet Society.
I'm not going to use these anymore. I embrace the idea of a new format. I've gone from what was originally on film, probably originally in book form, to film, to video, to uh, DVD, to now an electronic version, and who knows, eventually they're going to have something just plugs into our brains and we're actually walking into the scene somehow. I have no problem with the technology or the upgrading of what those things are, but what happens if we change what it is? It's no longer what it was. It becomes something else, and that's okay. There's actually one or two books that are, the movies are nothing like the original books. Princess Bride, one of my favorite. Go back and read the book. You'll be weirded out. It's a completely different animal. The Natural with Robert Redford. Love the movie. Book is kind of dark. I can love those new impressions, but it's not what the author intended, and it changes what it actually was supposed to be. One of the first early big-time shows I saw as a kid uh, was The Wizard of Oz. As a child, I saw this. It was probably one of the, the premier productions on television, you know, so whatever that was offered. Flying monkeys, to this day, creep me out, okay? They, they messed with my, my nightmares for long. I mean, that was just the weirdest thing of evil I could think of, these flying monkeys, and they're going to come along and get you, and I just, I had horrible nightmares about those things. I hated that aspect of it. But in that work, you see clear points of good and evil. It was meant to be that way. I haven't seen it. Uh, Renee went and watched uh, the, uh, I, I just, I didn't have the opportunity to, with a friend, the uh, Broadway play Wicked. And if you examine that play, and I understand it's a great play, a lot of fun, it's, it's good. But it basically alleges to have a backstory to um, uh, Wizard of Oz that when you play it out, you find out that the, the, the Wicked Witch was really very misunderstood and damaged, and the real bad person was Glinda, the Good Witch. She's really the screwed up one. And it completely changes your perspective of the Wizard of Oz entirely. The same thing with Sleeping Beauty. That was always the classic. You know, there's a wicked witch in there and there's Sleeping Beauty. For now, it's Maleficent. And um, she's misunderstood. We can change the medium, we can change the approach of our messaging, but we can't and dare not change the truth of what is present, not just in Scripture, but what we know also, even from science and nature itself. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The true neighbor will risk his or her position, his or her prestige, and even his or her life for the welfare of others. And we do no one, no one, proper service when we twist the truth because of the change in mentality in society. We do no one's service with that. The referees will continue to call what we discussed here today offensive, eventually possibly illegal. Um, certainly hurtful in their eyes. And so this morning I would offer two scriptures as we close this. For those of you who are endeavoring to hold to these values of truth, that you would not 
surrender them. That you would not though go so hard as to be vicious and, and vindictive in what you do. Or even to sit here and have to pound it constantly in someone's face. But by no means go to the point where you surrender those values and convince yourself that's right. Or to go silent at a time when you're being asked directly what you believe on it. And instead to join us in this place that's, that stands in Scripture, that stands in truth, that says here's what the truth is, but we also want to express that in grace. We don't want to put up walls. We do want to put up bridges. But any bridge you ever see at any place at any time, you're going to find starts from a very firm foundation on one piece of land where they drill down to bedrock. And after they've drilled down to bedrock and they put down a strong foundation, then they begin to build that bridge. If you do anything other than that, you're not building a bridge that's going to last. You're building something on air. So for those who are holding to this value, I offer this scripture, one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed. We don't understand these things all the time but not despair. We may be, in fact, persecuted, but never abandoned, possibly even struck down, but not destroyed. Hold to those issues with grace and with truth. Apply understanding to it. Research, read, examine those things. For those of you who are in the midst of the pains of this discussion, that it's very real to you, that you're dealing with relatives, friends, children, partners who struggle with the issue of gender, who struggle with the issue of how they express their sexuality. All these are part and parcel of our fellowship here. For you that have to deal with that, we want to stand with you and have and will continue. As one phone call I took not too long ago, where someone called me and a woman asked and said, my wife and I and our children are looking for a church. We want to know, will we be welcomed and are you affirming? And I had to say to her as kindly as I could, you would be more than welcome. And I hope that is true. We are not affirming any more than we're affirming of a lot of other issues that Scripture warns us in regards to. I didn't go into that detail, but I just said we're not affirming but you would be welcome. So for those processing this, I offer you Romans chapter 8, verse 38. That in the midst of whatever you're having to deal with, whether it's a family member, whether it's a partner, whether it's yourself, to remember what Paul said. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That as you continue to press in on these issues, to educate yourself both with Scripture in context, as well as truly getting the differing views of science that are present, that even in the midst of that, that God would give you some degree quietness of encouragement and even ultimately peace.
Father, right now I, I ask that you'd encourage those who are followers of yours that we would continue to build bridges and not walls, but that those bridges would be having a solid foundation and that we would not reject or move away from that foundation. That we wouldn't feel the need to constantly pound our chest about it, but neither would we stay silent when asked or when the moment comes. I pray, Father, for those who are struggling in marriages today, that as men and women come together, they're sometimes more opposite than like. And I pray, Father, for those marriages, that you'd strengthen those. I pray, Father, for those who struggle with gender identity, whether within themselves or within their family, God, that your grace and your peace would somehow work its way into the midst of that, even as they hold firm, that still your grace and your peace would work into that. Guide us as your church, Lord. Guide us as your church, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen.